So some of you may be able to pinpoint when and where you were the day that you heard the gospel preached to you. Maybe your story is that you heard a street preacher proclaim the good news, and that may have drawn you in. Or maybe your story is that your parents shared the gospel to you uh, when you were just a child. Or maybe it was a friend who invited you to the church and you heard the message of the gospel preached to you. However, whatever story or whatever your story is, uh, praise God that you believe. And that's, um, that's something that's praiseworthy. But have you ever wondered why it was you who were convinced of the truth of the gospel and maybe not your unbelieving sibling or your unbelieving friend? Uh, it has been my experience that even though I sat under the same preaching and would hear the same sermons that some of my past friends and family members who were sitting beside me would hear, it is apparent that only some who were sitting there under the preaching were affected by it. <clears throat> After all, if the information that's being preached is information that is beneficial and works towards my good, why wouldn't I accept it? In fact, who in the world would reject the good news of the gospel? The reality is that many people hear the gospel preached and they reject it. There have been times when I would invite an unbelieving friend to church and as the pastor's delivering the sermon, I'm sweating and I'm anxious because in my mind, uh, I, I really want this sermon to be effectual, uh, especially to my unbelieving friend who, whom I invited. My desire is that the sermon, would, the sermon that's being preached would be used powerfully by God to result in my friend's conversion. And this is all going into my mind while I invite them and they're sitting next to me and we're hearing the sermon preached. Oftentimes, I find myself anxious for the wrong reasons. I'm tempted to place my trust and hope in the preacher's abilities rather than the work of the Holy Spirit in carrying the truth of God's word from the preacher's lips into the heart of the unbeliever, making the mistake of focusing on the preacher's delivery rather than hoping in the Spirit's power to convict his heart. Now, in no way am I saying that the delivery and the ability to properly teach is not important. It is. In fact, <clears throat> we see that we see both that the Preaching, or the call of preaching, and the ability to teach are both encouraged in Scripture. However, it's very important to know that even the most skilled preacher and the most skilled teacher who delivers the clearest presentation of the gospel does not always guarantee conversions for every listener. It has often been the case that the person you least expected to come to faith in Christ is now a sold-out believer. And the person you most expected to be open to Christianity was actually the one that ended up rejecting it. And it is this truth that we see explicitly in John 3, 8, spoken from our Lord Jesus Christ, as he replied to Nicodemus about his question of new birth. And you can see here in the PowerPoint, John 3, 8. And he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sounds, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now this is an indication that the conversion of an unbeliever is not ultimately dependent upon the preacher, but rather to whom the Holy Spirit wishes to convert. We as Christians proclaim the gospel to all men with no discrimination 
in hopes that the Spirit himself would draw all to himself. However, not all who are called are converted. It's only the effectual call of God that convicts and transforms a person to repent from his sins and believe in the gospel. And this is a work that only the Holy Spirit does. With that said, that's the topic for today, the effectual calling of God. And I want to divide this subject into two categories, and you'll see that in your handout. The two categories are, number one, the external call, and category number two is the internal call, which we call the effectual call. <clears throat> so uh, looking at uh, the first point, the external call, <clears throat> Augustine, in his book, Predestination of the Saints, he makes the distinctions between an external call and the internal call of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to put it up here. It's a quote from Augustine. And he says this, <clears throat> When therefore the gospel is preached, some believe, some believe not. But they who believe at the voice of the preacher from without hear of the Father from within and learn, while they who do not believe hear outwardly but inwardly, they don't hear nor learn. That is to say, to the former it is given to believe, and to the latter it is not given, because no man, says he, cometh to me except the Father which sent me draw him. That's a verse from John 6.44. So Augustine is essentially saying that although the sinner hears the preaching of the gospel audibly, he doesn't hear it internally nor does he learn. Augustine recognizes that according to Scripture, man is not given to believe unless God draws him. So, what exactly is the external call? First, I want to start by mentioning that the external call is only one aspect of calling in general. You hear calling uh, being mentioned throughout Scripture. Uh, and and we, we ought to recognize that the author of all calling, right? We think of calling is like a commission from God, a destiny from God. Um, and all of that comes from God himself. Now, for the sake of time, I'll only mention two kinds of general calls. One is what we call vocational realis, which is, uh, if you listen to the words, vocatio or vocatio, refers to vocation or calling. Um, and... Realis is referring to reality or the natural world. And so this, kind, this category of calling refers to God's general revelation through the things that are made, uh, the things that are made, as you see in Romans 1, 19 through 20. Uh, when you look at Romans 1, uh, we read that God has revealed himself to all men so that they are without excuse. And he does so through nature. And following that passage in Romans, we read that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. In other words, this revelation of God's existence through nature served and still serves as a call, right? This is a kind of call, a call for all mankind to serve and honor their creator. But as we see throughout scripture and even in our world today, man doesn't seek nor serve creator. In other words, they're ignoring the call that God is giving through uh, his revelation in nature. And again, this is what makes all mankind guilty before God. 
<clears throat> now this call, right, the vocatio realis, knows nothing of Christ, right? It is merely a revelation of God that is not salvific. So what that, that call from general revelation, the, the revealing of who God is through nature, it doesn't tell us about Jesus. All it does is tell us that God exists and that we owe him something. Uh, so again, it's not salvific. There is another kind of call, though, that also comes from God to man, and this, ca this call is called the vocatio verbalis, uh, which is, what, the ver a verbal calling. And it is a divine call that comes to man through the preaching of God's word. And it is this calling that is most relevant to the topic that we're going to talk about today. So um, when I talk about uh, an external call, I'm talking about the preaching of God's word externally, right? So what I'm doing here is teaching you the word of God, what the preacher is doing in the pulpit. He's preaching the word of God, and it's going out there. It doesn't know... Uh, he, he, the person, the teacher, the preacher, doesn't know what he's going to catch, right? He's throwing his line out there, but he's, he doesn't know what he's going to reel in. And that's the external call. Um, for the, so, again, for the sake of today's discussion, when I talk about external call, I'm referring to the verbal calling, right? The preaching of God's word generally. And it's important to note that an external call is a proclamation of God's word that may not always result in the conversion of each listener. Now, the Bible does not use those words, right, external call. You don't see that anywhere in Scripture. But there are examples in the Bible of this concept. Let's look at one verse, for example. Can someone read Mark 16, 15 through 16? Thank you. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim, and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. Thank you. So in, in this verse, we see a command from our Lord to proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Right? We go out there and we proclaim. And in this case, our job as believers is to preach the gospel without discrimination, but to share it and to spread it throughout the entire world. But notice in verse 16 that Jesus presupposes that there will be some who will not believe. And those who do not believe will, in fact, be condemned. In other words, even though we are sent out to deliver the external call of the gospel to all, it doesn't mean that each call is efficacious, right, is effective. It doesn't mean that. We see the same idea in the parable of the marriage feast. You all remember that? Um, I'll show you up here on the screen. Matthew 22, 2 through 14. Uh, can someone read this parable? Went 
hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there, were, there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendant, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Thank you. <clears throat> so, um, the same lesson is taught what you see here, where many were invited and not all were accepted. The same lesson is taught in the parable of the Great Supper, which you find in Luke 14, 16 through 24. And the concept is summarized in that last verse that you see here, right? For many are called, but few are chosen. And the key determining factor in whether or not a person will respond to the invitation of the gospel is that word chosen. This is very controversial, but it is important. It teaches us that God is the ultimate source of salvation. He decrees, he predestines, he elects, he chooses. This is how he's described in the Bible. All things go according to God's decreative will. Salvation then depends not on human will, but on God who has mercy, on whomever he decides to have mercy on. And we see this in Romans 9, 16. Put it up here. And it says here, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And in light of this truth, we earnestly preach the good news, knowing that even though each call may not be efficacious, God will use the preaching of his word to draw those whom he elects. Now, some people would say, oh, God chooses, so then why bother preaching? If he's going to choose who he chooses, then let him choose. We see in scripture that God has commanded believers to go out there and spread the good news and share the gospel. And he uses that means, right? The preaching of the gospel, he uses that to bring in those whom he has chosen. <clears throat> when the preacher is preaching, he has no idea who the Lord will draw. However, this does not stop him from preaching earnestly and with great clarity and boldness because the preacher knows that God will use the preached word as a means to draw in those whom God has chosen. So, those of you who are like me, who tend to be a bit anxious for those unbelievers who are sitting there with you, uh, they're your friend and they're listening to that pulp, the, the preaching from the pulpit because you invited them to come, and you're anxious, you're hoping that they listen and that the word is preached correctly and and in a way that will grab their attention, we, we, we can rest. We can, we can remind ourselves, and we ought to remind ourselves, that ultimately it has nothing to do with the excellency of the preacher um, or the articulation of his words, but rather the spirit who draws men according to the truth that we see in the Bible. John 10, 27-28 says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, an, another question that we ought to ask or we, we have to think about is what are the components that are essential in the message of the external call that we deliver when we share the gospel? What's the necessary components of this message that we share? <coughs> Number one, the first necessary component is a presentation of the gospel facts and of the doctrine of redemption. 
Okay? Uh, I, I know uh, some, some people don't like the word facts, right? Or talking about historical truths. But that's a necessary component in the presentation of the gospel. This is important because oftentimes we confuse our personal testimony with the gospel presentation. And by personal testimony, I mean when we tell our personal stories about how God has dramatically changed our lives, while at the same time, we defer from sharing the historical facts about Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And I know how much people would prefer to give their story rather than God's. However, this is not what God has called believers to do. Maybe some of you are convinced that your story will do the job. However, you should never assume that you're wiser than God. As good of a testimony you may have, it isn't the gospel. The gospel isn't that you used to be a drug addict and now, that you're, now you're not a drug addict. The gospel isn't that you suffered a severe health issue and now you've been healed. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his future return to judge the world and all the implications that are connected to those historical truths. He is what was promised in the Old Testament and what is fulfilled in the New. He is the hope for salvation for those who repent and believe, and yet he is also the one who will bring judgment and punishment to those who do not repent and believe. And I want you to look at an example of a gospel preaching found in, in uh, uh, Acts 2, 38. I'm going to put it up there. Um, this is Peter on the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> and I think it's a great example of what gospel preaching looks like. Can someone uh, read that? Thanks. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty words and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the, 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 the finite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. You can continue. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness, with your presence. Brothers, I may, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tongue, too, is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has shown, sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned, abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Did Jesus God raise, this Jesus God raised up, and for that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
Oh, a little bit more. Well, David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, and I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, somebody get her a cup of water. So. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, you've noticed the focus of his preaching and his presentation of the gospel, right? Jesus' life talks about his crucifixion his resurrection, as well as his kingship as he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And again, the, 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 the power of salvation, um, and again, I, I want to backtrack a little bit. When, when you share, if, if you share your testimony, there's nothing wrong with that. What, what I, wanna, I want you to always keep in your mind is that the power of salvation is in the testimony of Jesus Christ and not your own testimony. So you, you may supplement it and share how that's affected your life, but ultimately the person who is dead in their sins, they need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear about what he did. Uh, and you can even preface that with uh, God being the creator of the world, um, how he's holy, um, man, has, man has fallen, man fell. Um, and then, you know, just to sort of put it in its context. But ultimately, the gospel is the good news that's found in the fact that God sent his son uh, to live the perfect life on our behalf, was crucified, was uh, was buried, resurrected, is exalted now on, on, the, on the throne, is coming to judge the world, uh, and, and making that clear to the unbeliever, helping him understand contextually what that means and what that means for that individual, and also how he ought to respond to it. Uh, but if you spend most of your time talking about yourself, you never get to the good news of, of, of the gospel that's found in, in the historical facts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So, uh, again, hopefully you saw that in, in Peter's example of Christ-centered preaching. The, the next essential element or component of uh, that external call that we give is an invitation to believe in Christ in both repentance and faith. So, looking at the same passage, we see that Peter also doesn't just leave the people with the historical facts, but he tells them how they must respond to these truths. When they ask him, what shall we do? Peter responds, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so, the, the external call speaks of the personal work of Christ, but is also supplemented with an earnest invitation and even a command to repent and believe, which means to turn from your life of sin and to place your trust in Christ by faith. And you can sense the earnestness that is to be had when calling men to repent and believe in, in some other passages here. I'm going to show you. Second uh, Corinthians 5.11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. All right? There's this real... Uh, identification with the truths that you're saying to that individual. Um, these are not just kind of facts that you're spilling over, but in, in a real sense, you understand what it is to fear the Lord, that the wrath of God is upon you. Um, but the good news is this, and, and sort of sharing that 
with, uh, with a real personal conviction. And then the second verse up there is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, where it says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, which is another word for beg, right? We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So the doctrine of God's election and the fact that he chooses people apart from their, um, you know, the human will should not interfere with the reality of hell, with the reality of the good news of the gospel. And so um, knowing these things, we still ought to, uh, you know, sense that in ourselves, in our minds, as we preach these truths, right? And this is why he says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Um, the, the preacher is recognizing the, the seriousness and the urgency of um, the necessity of the person to come to Christ. And we see in scripture examples of supplementing the gospel with a command to repent and believe. You see that in Mark 1, 14, 15, 14 through 15. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then the third uh, component that, I, that is uh, necessary in that external call is that promise of forgiveness and salvation. Right? It's not just uh, you know, telling them that they are sinners and that they, the wrath of God is over them, but it's also telling them about the forgiveness and the salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. Now, we must recognize that our presentation of the gospel is incomplete without sharing the mercy and the grace of God by virtue of what Christ has done for sinners on the cross. We must include in our presentation that which is most essential to what makes the good news good news, right? Namely, the promise of forgiveness and salvation. Now, I'll never forget many times I've gone out to evangelize in downtown Orlando, and I've seen Christians make the mistake of preaching only the law of God without sharing the good news of the gospel. They simply call out the sins of everyone they saw. And their justification for this method was that the law is what reveals their sin and leaves them to cry out for a savior. Now, I know that there is truth in that. We know from Paul's letter to the Galatians that the law is indeed a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It shows us our sin and need for the savior. However, leaving man guilty... <laughs> is not the work of the Great Commission. As we mentioned earlier, that the general revelation of God as revealed in nature is sufficient to condemn and make all guilty. We know that from scripture. But until the person is humbled by the truth of the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ on the cross, he'll either remain in his guilt and despair or he'll harden his heart against God. Many times, I have shared the law with unbelievers, and I assumed that this would make them feel the weight of their sin, yet they responded in arrogance. And you know what they said to me? They said, I know very well that I'm a sinner. Thanks for telling me what I already know. The issue isn't that I don't know that I'm a sinner, but that I don't care that I'm a sinner. 
And this is why it's important to preach both the law and the gospel. And this is seen even in the Old Testament. The law and the gospel. It's important to preach both the holiness of God, but also the grace of God. It's important to preach the wrath of God, but also the mercy of God. And the reason for this is because when we're faithful in preaching the whole counsel of God, we can trust that the Holy Spirit, he'll determine for himself what parts of that message will land on good soil in the people's hearts. It's our job to preach faithfully the whole counsel of God. Now, uh, point number two on the handout. Point number two is the internal call, the effectual call of God. The internal call, which is what we call the effectual call of God, is the personal call made by the Holy Spirit to those whom God has elected to be born again. A good definition of the effectual call can be found in both the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism and also the Baptist Catechism. And I'm I'm just going to read from the Baptist Catechism, uh, which is actually the same wording as the Westminster. Um, And you can see that even on your uh, handout. Uh, The Baptist Catechism defines the effectual calling in this way. Uh, It's question number 34. What is effectual calling? And the answer is... Effectual calling is the work of God's spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. So in other words, the effectual calling is when the general external calling is being preached to everyone, not knowing who's coming in, the internal effectual call is that of the Holy Spirit tugging in your heart, calling you, convicting you of your sin and misery, um, enlightening your mind of the knowledge of Christ, and renewing your will, persuading you to embrace Jesus Christ as your only Savior, as offered in the gospel, and it's, a, it's, a, it's freely offered in the gospel. This is another way of saying that I can preach, many will hear it, but those who really hear it internally, spiritually, is, uh, is uh, the Holy Spirit working in your heart. That's an internal, effectual call. The, the following question in the catechism, you'll see number 35, and it's on your handout as well, is what benefits do they that are effectually called partake in this life? What are the benefits? What happens when you're internally called by the Holy Spirit? And the answer, they that are effectually called do in this life partake of justification. In other words, if you're internally called, effectually called, you're saved, you're justified. It says, uh, partake of justification, adoption, sanctification, And the several benefits in this life do either accompany or flow from that, right? All of us experience the benefits of being a Christian, which is uh, reconciliation with God. We're counted as children of God in adoption. We're in the process of sanctification. We're growing spiritually. Those are benefits that you get from being born again. And you're born again if that internal effectual call happens to you. Look at some passages that deal with some of these statements. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-14. Someone read that. God always 
because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. For this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, that's an example of the effectual call. And in this passage, we see the choosing of God, right? And also salvation by the Spirit and belief in the truth. This is an example of an effectual call from the Holy Spirit when the external call is made. We see another example in Acts 2.37. Can someone read that? Thank you. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Hmm. Another example, right? They were cut to the heart. This is uh, when they heard this, right? The preaching that was done by Peter. They were cut to the heart. Again, that's a, that's a sign of... Um, the word of God that's being preached to you is affecting your heart. Uh, the next verse that I'll show you is a unique situation when Peter was preaching the gospel to some Gentiles. Acts 10, 43 to 44. Uh, this is when Peter was preaching to Gentiles. It says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Then it follows up with this. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Again, that's an example of effectual calling. While uh, an external call was being made, a preaching of God's word, some were actually being affected by it. This calling is an execution of God's divine election. And according to his Decreative will, right? The will that doesn't change. What he's decided will come to pass. According to that will, God chooses those whom the external call of the gospel is made effectual. And as we just read, when this happens, the Holy Spirit regenerates the heart, causing them to respond. Just as the uh, catechism mentioned and described, the one that we just read, it convicts them of their sin and misery enlightening their mind and the knowledge of Christ, and it renews their will and persuades and enables them to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered in the gospel. And again, like, I, like, like we read with the following question, what benefits do uh, those who are effectually called uh, partake in this life? The answer is they partake in justification, adoption, sanct sanctification, and all the benefits uh, that come and flow from our salvation. We read in Romans 8 what many call the uh, golden chain of salvation. It's a chain of promises for those who receive the effectual calling of God. Right? It begins with God's predestination and it ends in his glorification. Here you can see that, chain of, of, uh, that golden chain of salvation. Right? It says, for those whom he foreknew, right? it begins with God electing and knowing or, or, in other words, loving those whom he chooses, right? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. And, this is the chain here, those whom he predestined, he calls, right? He called. And those whom he called, he also justifies. In other words, he calls, they receive that internal effectual uh, calling. He also saves them, he justifies them. Uh, and those whom he justifies, he also glorifies. In other words, if you're saved, if, you, if you've been predestined, if you've been called, then you're saved. And if you've been saved, you are sanctified 
and if you're being sanctified, it promises you inheritance in the eternal life. Um, you'll be with him after death. And this is what we receive uh, from this glorious salvation. So these are glorious promises from those who are effectually called by God. If you have, if you have heard the gospel preached and was convicted of your sins and convicted by the truths that were proclaimed about Jesus and the salvation by faith and the work that he did on your behalf on the cross, right? Taking upon himself your sins. As you acknowledge that apart from him, you would not stand a chance in judgment before God. If you believe that, you'll be saved. If not, then I urge you to pray from the depth of your soul that God would grant you faith. Pray that you would repent from your sins and that you would cling on to Jesus Christ, the only righteous one, with your whole life. Uh, and the prayer is always, you know, especially when you're thinking about those people, like family members or friends that you've had in your mind, in your heart, um, that, that you wish that they would come to the knowledge of Christ, that they would be justified and saved, that they would receive that internal call. Uh, this, should, this truth should bring us to our knees. We should be praying, knowing that salvation, if you trace it back, it ultimately comes from God. Um, man's ways and his forms of manipulation, uh, using different kind of tactics to try to gain their attention and, and make them Christians is, is vain. It doesn't work. Uh, we have to pray that God would do the work and that he would use you or other people to deliver that external call so that when they hear it, God would call him internally and effectually. And so again, our, our, our job as Christians is not only to share the gospel with unbelievers, but also to be diligent in praying for them, knowing that God ultimately decides who is his. Um, in conclusion, as Christians, let us be faithful to preach the complete gospel without fear or discrimination. God has called us to that external call of repentance and faith in Christ, um, but let's continue to proclaim it, trusting that God will effectually call those whom he has elected. Uh, we know from Scripture that his word never fails. Um, it always does what he intended it to do. And so we could just uh, place our confidence in the word of God and uh, just faithfully preach it, knowing that God will draw those who are his. Um, next week, we'll continue the series with the topic of regeneration. We'll get into just all the mechanics of that and, and uh, everything involved with the topic of being born again, being regenerate. Uh, any, any questions or any comments? Yeah, I just spilled my water. I'm sorry, brother. Yeah. This is uh, this is the same passage, uh, Matthew. This is Matthew twenty-seven three, yeah. which is, just shows us a contrast yeah. to what he does with the Holy Spirit. He does with the That's right. That he still can expose expose hearts to the nature of their sin, but in the gospel we get yeah. We get a very special relief from that. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Lord.
Anyone else? Comments? I remember when I first became a believer, and you know, I thought everybody's going to believe this. I mean, this is incredible. How could you not believe this? And yeah. you know, there was almost a pride that I had in, in my heart, like with the friends that I was around at that time. That you know, I believe this, but they didn't. How do they not see this? Right. When you understand the sovereignty of God and all the workings of salvation, what God did in eternity past that maybe you don't understand when you first become a believer, it really keeps your heart in the right place. Um, so this just isn't a doctrine that's good for our head. Right. It's good for our heart, as all doctrine ought to be. And uh, an understanding of it keeps your heart, number one, in the right position regarding humility, and it also, I think, keeps you from despairing how people initially respond to the gospel. Yes. Because you recognize that, you know, however hardened that person may appear, if they're the Lord's, God will break them and bring them to himself. Nobody thought the Apostle Paul was coming to faith in Christ. That's when right. The gospel was going out to him initially. Amen. Um, but God had other plans. And, and I think so. It keeps us humble and it also keeps us encouraged as we as we proclaim the gospel. Amen. That we trust that... Um, the Lord can take that seed and bring it to fruition at any moment that He desires. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, sister. Yeah, it's very important to know that we as Christians, we have to do our utmost best to preach the Gospels. And we are not the Savior. Mm. You know, I used to take it very, very to heart when I would do so much work and wouldn't fall into that field or that project field. Mm. You know? Jesus Christ is the Savior. We can work as much as we want, but we're not doing any saving at any time. Jesus said, happy are those who have spiritual needs, but those needs will be satisfied. And that goes to show that not everybody is going to have that spiritual need, unfortunately. And again, saving is done with Jesus. We do our job. The Holy Ghost will do their job. Right? And Jesus will do his job. And the rest is in. The saving is done by him, not by us. Amen. No yeah. And thank God for that, because I'd, I'd mess that up if I were <laughs> trying to convince somebody. And just, yeah, praise God for that. Amen. I think another thing, um, it, um, it affects how you view ministry in general, because it makes you kind of realize that God will make himself effectual and, and make known through the preaching and the ministry that most glorifies him. Yes. Rather than that which just kind of appeals to people like yeah. carnal desires or what have you. Amen. Um, so it makes you really want to make sure that your ministry reflects that and glorifies God and reveals what's true. Yes. Amen. I think it, it just to kind of share something that I've, I've experienced with uh, just being in church pretty much all my life and knowing how easy it is for members to be discontent with their church. And, um, I mean, depending on the tradition that you come from, uh, you know, there are churches that wish that their church had more programs and uh, that it would do, you know, extravagant forms of outreach that, that are not really word-centered or, you know, just, just being impatient with your church. You want, you're, you're wanting all kinds of things added to uh, what church is really about. 
And it, 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 I think this doctrine helps us to be content with the appointed ordinances that God has given the church and trusting that as maybe as simple and ordinary as these ordinances are, and what I mean by ordinances is what are the things that God has appointed the church to do for, for the spread of the gospel, right? You have a congregation, you have the things that are required for worship, right? We sing, we see that in the Bible. We sing, we do the Lord's Supper, we, uh, we give, we share, we, uh, we have the fellowship, we have uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we have the preaching of God's word in exposition format. So, you know, the basic things that uh, we see in scripture that are elements to what makes a church a church. And oftentimes we look at the preaching of the word and we don't think it's enough. Um, you know, he's not, and I, I don't say this about our church. I'm, I'm excited about the way the preaching is, but I know in some other contexts, some people are maybe bored of the preaching or it's just the same thing all the time. This doctrine helps us to go back to what the truth is about these ordinances. They're, they're working because they're God's ordinances and they may seem very ordinary to you, but they're actually very very powerful, and it's what God has commanded. Yeah, all we have to do is look what Jesus used to do. He used to sit, and sometimes there would be hundreds and thousands of people. Mm -hmm. It's not about the music. It's not about the show. It's about a good, heartfelt, Holy Spirit-inspired sermon. Yeah. When you give that to the people and you speak to their hearts, they're going to be like, <laughs> yeah. and you don't need all that other hookah. Right. So it's just dedication to our God, Jesus, mm -hmm. right? And then He inspires us. Amen. And then we'll deliver, you know, what we're supposed to be delivering. And you're going to have a yeah. great, great, you know, sermon, and you don't need all that other stuff. Amen. Yeah, it's, it definitely but speaks on the... He didn't use it, you know, he didn't use all the music at all. You know, he was very calm, and, but he spoke to the people exactly. He gave, gave them their spiritual food the way they needed it. Yeah. And that was more than sufficient. It amen. sufficient for us, too. Yeah, amen. His word never fails. Yeah. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. Uh, for this time of uh, study, learning about your doctrine uh, of the effectual call that we see in Scripture. And Lord, we receive your great commission from Mark 16 to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And we're made aware that not all will receive it. However, we ask that you help us to trust and obey what you have called us to do. We know that this is the means in which you called your elect, and we thank you that we who are saved now have been called by you. We have no reason to boast except in your love and your mercy. And we thank you from the depth of our souls. May our worship today be a demonstration of that appreciation of your effectual calling. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all.